I have a message that is not a uh, continuation of the series that I said I completed, but it is a spinoff. It is a spinoff. <laughs> it's a spinoff. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, God started talking to me about something that he had been for a while, and as I just kind of sat still and just kind of listened into that and leaned in a little more, I realized, you know what, this kind of is spinning off of uh, some things that I recently have been sharing and talking about. And so I, I want to talk some about a very uh, familiar, probably one of the most popular parables uh, that Jesus told, uh, parable of the prodigal son. You could ask people who probably didn't grow up going to church if they know about the prodigal son, and chances are they may have heard something or some analogy given towards that. It's a pretty familiar uh, story. Uh, I think there's something about that story that just seems to deeply uh, resonate with people from all walks of life. And so I want to not necessarily spend a whole lot of time because what I want to talk about today is it doesn't really have, it's not a whole, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the prodigal son. Ultimately, I do feel, though, that that parable, uh, along with the two that were before it, uh, is more about the shepherd and the woman and the father. Uh, but there are so many good kingdom truths that are buried within uh, these stories that if you take time, uh, you could look and just see something fresh and new every time you read it. And so just a recap of this story there. It's a father that has two sons, um, the older and the younger, and the younger son comes to a point in his life where he uh, no longer wants to stay at home. He no longer wants to follow in the ways uh, that he was raised. And so he asked his father for his inheritance, which was a very uh, disrespectful thing to do. It was as if he was telling his father he wished he would just die. He no longer wants to be a part of the family. Give him his portion uh, of the inheritance so that he could move on in life. Um, and so the father, he is gracious, and he gives this younger son his portion. And so he leaves and goes to a far country and uh, is just wasting his money. Uh, poor choices. A famine arises, and things go from bad to worse, and he's starving. And because his circumstances have taken such a dive, he starts to remember that even the servants back at home were living better than he was living because he was hungry, starving, and alone. So he decides to go back, rehearses a speech of repentance, gets back, and he starts his speech, and the father stops him. And in our last sermon a couple of weeks ago, we brought in how valuable the role of the servants were. Because the father called for the servants, and the servants are the ones who put the robe on him and put the ring on his finger, gave him new shoes, and 
The servants are the ones who went to get the fatted calf and prepared the meal and are setting the tables and welcoming this son who was lost. Well, I want to talk about the older brother just briefly to lay a foundation, and I don't plan on being too long uh, today, um, but I do want to bring this in. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to read in the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter, verses 25 uh, to 32 to start us off. So now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. I want to pause here. We get this picture of the older son, the elder brother, as a very faithful, committed, loyal son. He does everything that was expected for him to do. He was obedient while his younger brother acted a fool, he stayed at home and did what was expected of him. His younger brother took his inheritance and wasted it, and he is stewarding his well. And so now his younger brother comes back in, <laughs> a party is thrown. A robe is given, new shoes, a new ring. And above all of that, the fat cow. The fatted calf. This calf that was set aside for the purpose of a celebration. You had all of your other cattle that you took care of, and, and, but yet you had this one that you kept in this safe pen. And you would nurture and take care of it in special ways, feed it with special foods. Because you are getting it plump and fat and prepared for just the right time to have a celebration and I would not be surprised if the elder brother was the one taking care of it. 
planning for just the right occasion to bring it out. And here he hears this party going on. And the servants tell him, yeah, they got the fattened calf. <laughs> I'm sure they made sure he knew exactly what was on the menu at this party because this was a special cow. This was a special meal that he had been watching over. He knew about it. This is the problem we have. Everything that is left in the father's care on the property, the cattle, the wealth, the riches, everything that was left belonged to the elder brother. It was his inheritance. The younger brother divided up everything that was going to be left. There's two of them, and he divided it up. He took his portion that was rightfully his as the younger. But the older brother was to inherit everything else. So this wasn't just the father's stuff that was now given to his younger brother. <laughs> this was his stuff. His stuff that he worked hard for. His stuff that he sacrificed when his brother went off playing games. He stayed to work hard. And now his brother crawls back. And all is forgiven. All is restored. But it's being restored with his stuff. And this isn't sitting too well with him. He's pretty upset. He didn't want his portion of the inheritance to go to his younger, wasteful brother. The Gospel of John, chapter 13 I dealt with this passage when I was talking about Jesus positioning himself as a servant. Getting a basin and filling it with water and stripping down, tying a towel around him and washing his disciples' feet. But what preceded this action of humility that Jesus showed was this reflection that Jesus had. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he was able to then position himself in a place of great humility to wash his disciples' feet. He was secure because he realized the Father had given him all things so he could afford to pour out unto his disciples. We have a better elder brother in Jesus. 
where the prodigal's brother was pretty stingy with all of the things that were given to him, we have the example of Jesus who also received all things but gladly shared them with us all. We have a better elder brother in Jesus. An elder brother that freely gives the things that belong rightfully to him, freely gives them away. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And then the Gospel of John chapter 1 tells us in verse 14 and 16, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. This is what is happening here. The Father has given Jesus all things. And because Jesus recognizes and is secure with all of the abundance that the Father has given to him, he freely now has given all things to us. All things. Not because we have earned it, not because we deserve it, but because he is good and because he is gracious, he freely pours it out. <laughs> when we go back to our story of the elder brother with the prodigal, the father had to remind him, everything that I have is yours. Why are you living as if you have limitation? Why are you living with a scarcity mentality when everything that I have, I have given it to you? It's yours. And here lies, I believe, some of the struggles that we face and we see. When we don't realize our position in Christ, when we don't realize that all things have been given to Jesus, but yet Jesus has graciously given all things to us. When we don't realize that we will find ourselves living in a place of scarcity and in places where we should be freely giving, we are clenching and holding. We are ultimately blessed in order to be a blessing. <laughs> this is ultimately what blessings are for. Blessings are ultimately given to be then 
passed on to others. It was the whole promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You will be a nation that I will bless so you can be a blessing to all nations. Unfortunately, that wasn't fulfilled through Israel, but ultimately it was fulfilled through Christ. He was blessed with all blessings, and he freely poured out all blessings on us. Something happens, something happens in us the moment that we realize that we have been given all things. Something happens. I, I, I know that there is this war that we battle and we fight in our minds, uh, and, and it's really the war of religion, where there is a carrot that is before us, and we're, we're just on this treadmill of trying to reach for and get and go after. It's that piece of Jesus is out there, and I need to get, instead of recognizing that all that we have and need is already given and is here. There's, there's a switch that is, that is flipped in our hearts and our spirits when we realize we are not trying to obtain anything. We are being awakened to what we have already been given. It is a game changer. It does change everything. Because when the carrot is out there, we begin to measure ourselves and judge ourselves by how close am I to the carrot today? Did, did I do enough in order to get closer? I, you know, I'm so close, I could smell the carrot. I could, but we never get to eat it. We never get to eat it. Because it seems as if it's like we just never could get close enough. That's religion. Religion dangles it out in front and say, behave well enough, long enough, good enough, and then you might be able to just nibble at the, at the tip of the carrot, maybe. Maybe, maybe just the, but you'll never really get the carrot. You just, <laughs> oh, it's a good game. It's a good game. It's a wonderful game. It builds big cathedrals. Because now you have the keeper of the carrot. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you don't deserve the carrot. Look at all of you. No, 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 no. Listen, we'll shave a few pieces off every once in a while and toss it. But you could never have the carrot yourself. And when you live with this mentality that I can never quite get it, even though it's yours, you'll find yourself living with a sense of stinginess to everyone else around you because you're upset because you can never have to carry it yourself.
But the moment you realize that not only do I have the carrot, but it's good carrot. For me, it's the moment I realize not only do I have the carrot, it's like carrot cake. It's so much better than just a carrot. And it's cream cheese icing, moist. And I'm going to probably turn some of you off at this point. It doesn't have the nuts. It doesn't have the nuts. It is a good carrot cake. It is a good carrot cake. (laughs) And I could have as much of the cake as I want. Something changes in how I perceive myself and other people. Once I step off of that treadmill of pursuit of a carrot and just enjoy the goodness of what has been given to me, something changes. We have conflicts. We have conflicts in life. And our conflicts don't, don't really start with other people. <laughs> we may think, like, I'm having a conflict with this person or this circumstance or this. Uh, listen, our conflicts first start with us. <laughs> our conflicts are first internal way before they are external. But then they do. They do bleed over. And, and we have conflicts with circumstances and people. But I want you to ask yourself this question. In your personal inner conflicts with yourself and with your external conflicts with others, what do you need? What do you need? Because when it comes down to it, it's like, I need something. Something is not happening. Whether Whatever it is, you could fill in the blank. It's just like, I, I lack and I need something. And this conflict is really because I need something. What is it that you need? And if you want to take that question a little further, what is it that you need that you have not already gotten? from God, who has given you all things. It's like we we claw and fight to because we feel like we lack and we have need, and this is James 4. Where does wars and fighting come from? We, we have these needs, and it's like, I have to get what's mine. I have to take hold. I need to grasp. I need to, and if I need to fight you in order to get what I need, so be it. And this warring and this fighting often takes place because we have forgotten or we never have discovered 
that Jesus has given us all things and we lack nothing. Everything in life and in godliness has been given freely to us. And it is given to us not so that we could just hoard it all in, but it is given to us to pass us and to be given to those that we come into contact with. You don't have to budget your mercy and your grace. You don't have to allocate resources of forgiveness. If we find ourselves stingy with mercy, it's because we have forgotten that we have been given an unlimited supply of mercy from God. And if you think you've used it all, you wake up the next day and your count is full again. <laughs> if you find yourself stingy with grace, it's because you've forgotten how much grace has been poured out on you. All that I have is yours. <laughs> if you find yourself in a power struggle, it's because you have forgotten that all power in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus and he has given it to you. When you awaken and discover that you don't have to pursue after that carrot, it has been given to you. You find yourself postured in a new way. You are a distribution center of the goods of heaven. And you're not trying to strip and take power away from people because you feel like you're lacking yourself. But you find, who can I give this power away to? Freely we have received. Freely we just give it away. We just give it away. We don't have to ration it and just, it might not be freely. Just give it away. Give it away. When it feels as if someone has just <laughs> made us feel insignificant, made us feel less than. <laughs> we need a fresh reminder 
that we are sons and daughters of a very, very good God. And he has given us all things. Now, the reality is it does not always feel that way. Has anyone here ever just not felt what you know to be true? Yeah. What happens in those moments when you know what is true, you just don't feel it? It's in those moments that you start to put roots down in something called faith. <laughs> because followers of Jesus who mature in their faith walk by faith and not by sight. They walk by faith and not by feelings. Now, the reality is we are addicted to our feelings. We are. We are. Because every time we don't feel, it's just like our world is rocked. And it's almost like, how did I end up on this treadmill again? And how's the carrot? And now I'm running again. It's like, what's, how did I get back here again? You didn't feel it. If we are to mature to the place where God is calling us to as the body of Christ, we have to break our addiction to our feelings. How do you know that God is moving? Because I felt it. So now that I don't feel it, he must not be moving. where there are some places that God needs to take us to that we can't go there with our feelings. I've been working on a, a, a message, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to bring a, a piece of it in. A part of it is 30 years of God. 30 years of God. Jesus God in the flesh lived with people and they didn't even know it was God. They didn't get goosebumps when he walked by. Have you ever pictured in your mind someone who is filled with heaven and filled with the spirit? And, and, and it's just like you come into the presence. It's like, I know, I know that. There's anointing is strong on them. I feel... 30 years of God, and his own brother didn't believe. There's something about humanity and heaven coming together that goes much deeper than our senses of feeling can measure. If you are dependent on how things are feeling, you won't realize you've been living in the same house with Jesus for 30 years. <laughs> and then when it begins to even manifest, James still didn't believe because of the previous 30 years. I don't know what he did as a big brother. I don't know. <laughs> 
But it was enough for James to be like, I know that I know that he's just a guy. This place where we live from the abundance of all of the storehouse of heaven comes when we are no longer addicted to our feelings and we allow for the journey that Jesus has taken us on to move us into a place of maturity, of digging deeper to a place where now we are drawing from heaven and not from our trained behaviors. Because you can have behavior modification. You could train a rat how to get the cheese. Oh, and we have learned how to do our mazes. It's like, I got the cheese. I got the cheese. We have learned how to, you know, I'm the head rat because I got the cheese first. But yet, oh, this fighting and warring amongst us. Where is this coming from? You have an abundant supply, but you're so stingy with patience. You have an abundant supply of mercy, but yet just dropping it every now and then. I love the 23rd Psalm. So much truth in it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You want to find a good prayer to pray, a good liturgy to start your day or some point in your day, Read and pray the 23rd Psalm. Find a version of the Bible that you love, the Passion Translation, the Message, English Standard Version. Oh, it's good in KJV. And read this. When you don't feel it, read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. It just starts off here. And then it jumps down in verse 5. It's like, and he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So now I'm in the presence of my enemies. But guess what? I have already been rooted in the reality. I lack nothing. And that changes things now when I'm in the presence of my enemies. If I'm in the presence of my enemies and I'm there feeling like I'm lacking, and I'm in want, then my enemy becomes my assignment to take what they have. Oh, but when I lack nothing, the table is prepared for me and I have an opportunity to offer them a seat. Oh, I'm glad you're here. There's plenty to go around. There's plenty. This, this spread, this table, is, it's not, not just for me. This table's for you. 
And when your enemy is hungry, you feed them because you have an abundant storehouse. And when your enemy is thirsty, you're pouring them something to drink because you have an abundant storehouse. He says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup, my cup overflows because I have more than enough. It's just overflow. I live in this overflow. That I didn't even know. Did I, what did I do? I didn't even remember. You know, I didn't, did I do something here? Oh, the moment we are living in a place where things are happening and we don't even know it. That's when we're living from life. Instead of living from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree of, am I doing right? Am I doing bad? How well am I doing it? Uh, let me judge this and just, oh, now, now, let me judge you how well you're doing it. It's just, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Let's stand. How many of us need the uh, anointing of God? <laughs> Why do you need it? To overflow with goodness. Because then we go and we hear that surely goodness and mercy, this is, we are so overloaded with it. That goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. And it's just this trail of goodness and mercy. It's like we don't even realize what's happening and goodness and mercy that's following us and it's the overflow of our life. It's just getting on everybody that we come into contact with. It's just goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy. Church family, we are growing up in Jesus. Christ is being formed in us. And something is happening if we will allow it to happen and not abort the deep workings of Jesus in our hearts, if we will allow those workings to happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you have given all things to Jesus. <laughs> and he is so good at being an older brother. He is not stingy with his stuff. But he lavishes it and pours it out on us all. And we receive grace upon grace and abundance of goodness. Help us to realize and have that switch flipped in our lives where we realize we have all things and we could graciously live our lives 
in our homes, with our, with our closest relationships we have. We don't have to live with power struggles and being sti- We could have forgiveness and mercy and grace flow like a river because there's an endless supply. And outside of our homes and our workplaces and in every area that our life touches, your goodness and mercy follows us. You overflow us with your grace and your goodness. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you. Have a great week.